0: 150 to 200. As always, my name is Michael Becker. I'm the Director of Operations here at Sacred Heart Catholic Church, and I am joined by Father John Eckert, Pastor of Sacred Heart Catholic Church. How are you doing today, Father?
1: I'm doing so well, and I think we ought to start with a prayer.
0: I think that's fantastic. In
1: the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our faith. We ask you to help us to continue to grow ever deeper in this most glorious of gifts, we ask you to help us to hand on that faith to everyone whom we encounter. And we ask this on this feast day through the intercession of St. Augustine of Canterbury and also through the intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary. Full, Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. With blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, pray for, pray for us
0: sinners now and at the hour, hour of our death. death. Amen. The
1: most sacred heart of Jesus. Have mercy on us. Immaculate heart of Mary. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. St. Augustine of Canterbury. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Amen. God. Thank you, Father. I appreciate that. Absolutely.
0: So, we're, as I said, we're going to be diving into paragraphs 150 to 200, but we probably need to start just a couple paragraphs before that, summarize kind of where we started, because last 150 wasn't a very good break. Talk a little bit about what we saw in those first like four or five paragraphs of the section, and then dive into 150.
1: That's right. So you mean starting back at 142 43 going in the obedience of faith Abraham, Mary. For a quick a quick review of what that was about. Yeah, I think that'd be good. Sure. So if you go back there to this, you know, so the section chapter 3 man's response to God, I believe and just remember, I mean, you're going to see this today in these uh, paragraphs that we're going to be moving through the creed, uh, getting an idea of what the creed is, but it's beautiful how the uh, the Catechism gives us this section on obedience first, which comes from the Latin word to hear or listen to. Um, this obeying. And we get two beautiful examples, one from the Old and then one from the New Testament. First, Abraham and his believing, his following God, his trusting in him. We all know, you know the different ways in which he did that, you know, in particular with uh, his willingness to offer up Isaac, and of course God providing in an incredible way. And then moving on from Abraham, two, of course, our Blessed Mother. You know, blessed is she who believed what was spoken uh, to her by the angel. Uh, you know, that we repeat those words of hers all the time. We repeat the words of the angel Gabriel all the time. We pray the Hail Mary. And I'm so glad, to. I love the Easter season, and I love the Regina Chaley. But I'm glad we're back to praying the Angelus now. So, you know, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. And you know, when you think about that, that we have a loving God who calls us, you know, outside of ourself, calls us to trust him, calls us to hear and to listen, to obey, just as our Blessed Mother does. Um, it's beautiful how the Catechism kind of sets the scene with both Abraham and then our Blessed Mother as we move into talking about the gift of faith.
0: I think there's some really good one-liners in here about uh, Blessed Virgin Mary. This first line of paragraph 148, uh, the Virgin Mary was most perfectly, most perfectly embodies the obedience of faith. I mean, right there, that's pretty awesome. That the catechism hits it that strong and that hard with who Mary is, and then she she is embodying that perfect obedience of faith. And then in one forty nine it also says, Mary's faith never wavered, which I think is fantastic as well, up to the death of her son on the cross, which is amazing. And they actually refer back to that point. A little bit later on in some future paragraphs, so we'll get to talk about Mary a little bit more as we move forward.
1: Exactly. And I guess, you know, the thing is, too, that doesn't mean that it was just easy walk in the park. I mean, you think about what St. Sim- Simeon said to her in the temple, you know, a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart, um, you know, standing at the foot of the cross. We all go through difficulties. I mean, faith is not easy, but it's good, you know. And so in trusting in our Lord and following him, and Mary helps us do that. And just a quick plug, because it's such an important prayer. Pray the Rosary. I mean, if you're having any difficulties whatsoever, pray the Rosary, and especially, I mean, link up the mysteries with what's going on in your life. If you're having a hard time, pray the sorrowful mysteries. Look at what our Lord went through. Ask our Blessed Mother to walk through this with you. And just as she, you know, we heard 148. She perfectly embodies the obedience of the faith. If you want to perfectly embody the obedience of the faith, ask for her help. Have her take you by the hand with the Rosary and keep walking along.
0: Which actually leads really greatly into what we'll be talking about a lot now that we've kind of summarized up to the point where we're at. We're going to be talking a lot about faith. We're going to be talking about what faith is, why we have faith, how we have faith, how faith is given to us um, over the next quite a few paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically the whole day, the
1: whole conversation is about faith. And I'll just say to you, Michael and I kind of talked about this a little bit today, you know. Make sure that you go through and read all 50 of these paragraphs. It doesn't take that long. It doesn't take like a half hour, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many good lines. And I was just saying to Michael as well, it's like how often have I picked up like, oh, I need to know about euthanasia. And it's like I look up something in the catechism. But when you work your way through these paragraphs, especially in the section on the faith, there's so many beautiful things that I just... So often you just don't stop to think about it. And so use this. Use it for your prayer. Read through it slowly. Because there are some uh, great things that I think will deepen your relationship with our Lord as you look through and keep trying to grow in your own faith. And as like a full
0: 50 section, this is probably the 50 that I've enjoyed the most. I agree with you. Chris now, I mean, we're only at 200, so we have a lot to go. But <laughs> yeah. out of the first 200, this 50 is really fantastic. We,
1: we both give it the thumbs up. Which I know Two thumbs up? <laughs> they've been waiting for Okay,
0: so we're going to dive right into uh, faith, and most importantly, we have to have faith in God. The Catechism of the Ch- Catholic Church dives right into we have to believe in God alone. We have to have faith in God, who God is, right? Um, and we have to have a free assent to the whole truth that God has revealed. So what it's, it kind of dives into here is that if God is who he says he is, right, or if God is who we believe He is, this all-knowing, this perfect being, then we have to have faith in what He says. So we have to have faith that He exists, and if we have faith that He exists, we have faith in what He reveals to us and what He says. Um, and then He kind of, the Catechism dives into the other parts of the Trinity, too. So then, if we believe in God, we need to believe in His Son, whom He sent to the world, and um, this is paragraph 151, the Lord himself said to his disciples, believe in God, believe also in me. So they, this catechism, paragraphs make a very close tie to God the Father and then God the Son. And that if we're believing in one, we have to believe in the other. And then rounding off the Trinity in paragraph 152, if we believe in Jesus Christ, then we must believe in his spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals to men who Jesus is no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what's beautiful right here in this little part of the catechism is that it almost, in some small way, it's trying to explain the Trinity that if we have faith in God the Father, we have faith in God the Son, and then we have faith in God the Spirit, and they kind of all flow from one to the
1: next. And you get this nice little summary, italic point at the end of paragraph 152, the church never ceases to proclaim her faith in one only God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—so one God, Holy Trinity, three persons—which um, we'll be hearing more about this coming Sunday, which is Trinity Sunday—and we'll get a homily from the wonderful Deacon Joseph Waswas. So I'm excited to see how he does on Trinity Sunday in preaching. But you know, the beautiful thing is just—you know—God loving Himself from all eternity, and that love like being poured out upon us for all time, and that He has revealed Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, giving us himself you know inviting us into that faith and the catechism in that paragraph 150 even talks about you know like if we you know entrust ourselves you know like if we trust other human beings you know even more so do we need to we need to trust God himself who has revealed himself as father Son and Holy Spirit
0: yeah this this line that I really love it, it says in paragraph 150 it is right and just to entrust oneself wholly to God and to believe absolutely what he says. It is right and just. Where do we hear that? (laughs) I know that's pretty strong language that we also hear in the mass, right? It's so
1: great. It's truly right and just. I love it.
0: And then it continues. It would be futile and false to place such faith in a creature. I think that's just so pointed and so to the point of we need to put our faith in God and God alone because it's futile to try to put our faith in anything else because if we believe that God is the creator of all things, then he is the foundation and hope of our faith. And if we put in our faith in anything less than God, we're
1: putting our faith in something that is less than the all-powerful creator. Mm-hmm. And just remember, he's also created all these other things too. So that's not some sort of a knock on other people. It's not like, oh, don't have faith in your spouse. No, it's not that. But at the same time, you can't put the weight of the world on your spouse to completely fulfill you in all ways for all time, you know, in every particular way, because he or she cannot do that. They're a creature. They're a human being. Um, but God is there for us and has given us all his gifts and has given you the gift of your spouse. And so it all fits together in the end. It's just we have to make sure that it, we have the, you know, the right ordering of our faith.
0: It's also interesting that he is the one that gives us the gift of faith. Mm -hmm. Um, So now it kind of starts with talking about whom we place our faith in and where that faith comes from. But we actually haven't really defined what faith is at this point. I think we ought to talk about the characteristics of faith. I think we should. And it's actually really easy to do that. There's a nice little italics right here in this first paragraph 153. Why don't you read it for us? I will. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. It says, faith is a gift of God. A supernatural virtue infused by him, which is a great start. And there are actually three other virtues that would be supernatural uh, virtues infused by God. And we call those the theological virtues. Wonderful. Faith, hope, and charity. We're not talking about hope and charity today. We we'll will get at, there at some point over the next four years. Um, but it is a supernatural
1: virtue infused by him, by God. So it goes on to say that it is a human act. Which is really good, so it's possible only by grace, and the interior helps the Holy Spirit. But it is no less true that believing is an authentically human act. Trusting in God and cleaving to the truths He has revealed are contrary neither to human freedom nor to human reason. In other words, like, you know, we participate in this. We're not just robots. It's not as though it's just like it's all there and you're just kind of done with it. You do assent to it. You do make an act of faith in trusting in God. You make an act of faith and trusting in God, but you also
0: need God to help you have more faith. Mm -hmm. It's really this God helps those who help themselves kind of analogy, where if you you try to have faith and you try to, as we'll talk about here in a second, have understanding of things, God is going to help us to understand them. It's very much a give and a take. He's not going to force faith upon us. We have to participate in that faith but also we cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps in faith. Faith has to be given to us as that free gift. So it's kind of this, it feels somewhat mysterious and mystical with what faith is, but we have to understand that it's a give give and take, it's participation with
1: God, but also a gift from God. Um, and it's, oh. it's relational too. And actually, I feel kind of bad I stopped too early. I'm going to keep going here for well, a second. Go for it. I was actually surprised you stopped too early. As I know. I didn't did. mean to stop there, and I'm sorry. So, even in human relations, it is not contrary to our dignity to believe what other persons tell us about themselves and their intentions or to trust their promises. For example, when a man and a woman marry, to share a communion of life with, with one another. If this is so, still less is it contrary to our dignity to yield by faith. The full submission of intellect and will to God who reveals, and to share an interior communion with him. So it's you know, it's one of those things, it's a human act that we put our trust into, you know, as I said, it gave us the example of a man and woman coming together in marriage, but that we put our trust in him. That yes, it involves our intellect. Like we continue to learn about him, to know about him. As Michael said, it's like we need to strive to study. However, Faith is not just for like super academics who you know can read the whole Summa Theologica in Latin. Like sometimes it's for the illiterate, but still like they have that will of coming to know God, of striving to know Him with what they can, and putting their trust in Him. Uh, Just intellect alone isn't enough. It's it's a full human act of both intellect and will.
0: But the interesting thing is also it's not necessarily a blind leap per se because with my wife. I'm not going into a blind leap when I got married to my wife. We dated for a while. I came to know her. I'm coming in with faith that she will be true to her marriage vows to me, and she's coming in faith that I'll be true to my marriage vows to her. Same thing with God. We aren't going into a blind relationship with him. We're not blindly leaping into the faith of what he has to say. Notice all 150 paragraphs, 154 paragraphs, up to this point, have been explaining who God is, talking about our relationship with God. So if you read those 154 paragraphs up to this point and understand who God is, all of a sudden it's like, oh, of course I'm going to have faith in God because I have an understanding who He is and I realize how good and beautiful and loving that our God is. And faith,
1: putting our faith in Him just makes sense. Absolutely. And this doesn't come from just nowhere. That's That's the beautiful thing too. We'll get there more and more as we continue on these paragraphs but yeah i mean it's very reasonable to jump into the faith i mean it doesn't and i know i said jump and we talk about it, it's not a blind leap it is a bit of a jump you know yeah. in some ways like like going forward in your in your marriage do you know everything that's coming for the yeah, next no there, there is risk yeah, involved absolutely no doubt about it. there's always and, and you know there's some with for example like trusting that god is calling me to be a priest did i know everything that was going to happen no because in some ways i may have run away screaming just like you know i'm sure it's the same way in marriage at times However, God prepares us. He gives us what we need as we need it. And like any relationship, it grows with time. We put our faith and our trust. It's We learn more. We will more. We continue on to grow in this, I keep using the word relationship, but I think it, it works really well. I mean, that's, I think, a good way of coming at faith. Yeah, there's a faith in every relationship.
0: I mm-hmm. mean, every relationship we enter into, why is it a good relationship? Because we're putting ourselves on the line with a certain sense of, of that love that we have for one another. And there is a faith that when we share that love to somebody, they aren't going to destroy it, Mm -hmm. right? But that's the great thing about having faith in God. We know he can't and he won't because of who he is, which is kind of reassuring.
1: Oh, it's so incredible. Like, and just as a quick little analogy, because I love telling this, I know you've probably heard it a million times. We had a professor in seminary who's a married man, two kids, wonderful guy. And he used to say to us seminarians, like, you guys have the harder vocation to discern, like, whether or not you're called to this. But he said, we married people have a harder vocation to live. He said, like, you know, it's us. It's two fallen human beings trying to make this work. It's like with you guys, giving your whole life to God, you know when something goes wrong. It's your fault. And I just, I always really appreciate that. But in a certain sense, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, God is there for us. He loves us. He's there with us. And the more we strive to grow in this faith and we, you know, grow in this relationship, the deeper and deeper and better and better it gets. I've totally stolen that analogy and used it in classes that I've taught
0: as well. Good. So it has stuck, Father, and I'm becoming like the teacher. Dr. Perry
1: Cowell, he's wonderful. He also said that if he ever heard any of us seminarians you know, becoming priests and on Trinity Sunday saying, oh, can't say anything, it's a mystery, he said he would hunt us down and shoot us. So let's hope that our Deacon Joseph does not do that this week. He's, he's got an excuse. He's not a priest yet. He's got that's one, true. one more year of wiggle that's room. That's true. But he did just graduate from Dr. Cahill's class. Oh, so, true. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, let's continue on.
0: So we get to the next section that's titled Faith and Understanding. So we've kind of alluded to this, but we're going to dive into what this means. Um, so we have faith in God. We have faith in his authority. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't just stop there. He gives us things. He gives us revelation. He mm-hmm. gives us scripture. And so even though we have this uh, leap of faith with God, there that's not the end of the story. And he gives us more to essentially help us to stomach this faith a little bit better, if you will. And I will. <laughs> God willed that external proofs of his revelation should be joined to the internal hopes of the Holy Spirit. That we have these proofs, we have these external things, we have these things that we need as human beings to help us understand these internal helps of the Holy Spirit, this movement of the Holy Spirit and the faith that we have. Revelation adapted to the intelligence of all. They are motives of cred- uh, credibility, which show that the ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. See, that's where yeah, I knew there you go. not that blind leap
1: knew it was coming somewhere. And I was going to say, too, there's another line in this that gets used, I think it's also in the act of faith, mm-hmm. that God is the one who can neither deceive nor be deceived. Yes. It's such a good line. And plus, like, okay, if you're in vocational discernment, just remember, he's not trying to trick you. He's trying to lead you into growing in that relationship where you're called to be. He wants that free ascent from you, but he's not trying to play tricks on you. He can neither deceive nor be deceived. So you're not going to pull a fast one on God either.
0: You know the beautiful thing is I underlined three lines in that paragraph. I quoted two and you quoted the third. Yes. And we're like, look at that. Continuing on. This. Fantastic. So good. I love it. So then we get into kind of what faith is. And it, these paragraphs kind of goes through a couple things of what faith is trying to do, what faith is kind of in this more um, external way, as it said, this, these external proofs. So first we see faith is certain. It is more certain than all human knowledge because it is founded on the very word of God who cannot lie. That's so amazing that our faith in God is actually more certain and more sure because we're putting faith into a divine perfect being, God the Father, son, and the Holy Spirit in one God in
1: the Trinity. And just think about the way that Jesus talked about himself at the last supper from that same paragraph you quoted before about you know have faith in God, have faith also in me. That's John 14. When it gets to John 14, 6, how does Jesus describe himself? I am the way and the truth and the life. I mean, he is the truth. Like, he's not going to lie. And so trusting in our Lord is so important. And so see that faith is certain. It's not wishy-washy. It's not kind of crazy and out there. It's never a lie. It's certain. And even when we have
0: difficulties with these faith, this faith, we know that it is true, even though we might have to wrestle with it, even though it might be a mystery like Trinity coming up on Sunday. We know that the Trinity is three persons and one God. Can we explain it perfectly? Do we perfectly understand it? No. But we know that with certainty that it is. And this wonderful line, as we were <coughs> talking about pre, pre-show, if you will, from uh, John Henry Newman and the, the quote here in paragraph 157 is 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt. So 10,000 difficulties that we may have in understanding a truth about our faith still does, should not bring about doubt in us.
1: And this is the thing, to remember, so difficulties. So you have difficulty with this or that teaching in the church. Fine. It's one of the beautiful things about our faith. Look at this book. It's probably going to deal with it. And if it doesn't deal with the specific di- difficulty enough for you, you've got footnotes of places that you can go or other places to look into. And the nice thing about a difficulty sometimes is it makes you dive into something more. Like you have to study it more. I know I've talked with Michael about this before, but I feel like whenever like a homily is coming up and I've read the readings and I think, ah, I know what I'm going to say. Those end up being the worst homilies. Like, I think the ones that are better is when I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I've gotta wrestle with the readings and go through this and think about this and work through it. And then you come to a deeper understanding and a new, I don't know if a new way of formulating is the right way to say it, but like a just richer and richer understanding of what's going on in the faith. And so it's certain, you know, that you can trust Him. And even if you can't just like wrap it all up in a nice little package immediately, it's okay. Like, you can't always wrap up in a nice little package like, okay, define why you love your mother. Well, it, it takes time. If you just say, well, she's a good cook. Well, so is the guy at Ruth's Chris, But it doesn't mean I love him in the same way, right? You know, like, there's, there's deeper and deeper ways of getting at the truth. But knowing that it's certain, even if there are some difficulties, it calls us deeper and deeper into what is right and just. That's an interesting Russ. I selection. Father. I know. Just for some reason, I, I had that one on my I don't line. think I've ever been to that restaurant. I know it's a pretty nice steakhouse. I've been steak once. House. I know it's a fancy steakhouse, but it's like okay, where's like the creme de la creme of cooking? Okay, Bruce Chris. I don't know. Which is still a chain restaurant. It so is. I mean, yeah, there's better places than that. We don't even have them in Salisbury. No, I'm, I don't. I've, I've been to like one in my whole life. Probably down in Charlotte. I yeah, don't even know where the closest okay. one is. You know what? They're not going to sponsor this.
0: They probably won't. No. <laughs> we aren't looking for any sponsors at the moment. We're not. But if you know somebody, please let us know. Yeah, especially if they want to pay off the debt. <laughs> okay. So actually what you were saying about faith and understanding goes really nicely into paragraph 158 in that faith seeks understanding. So even with this faith, that's not the end that it's going to drive you to seek understanding. And I Mm -hmm. think it's because the more we love something, the more we want to understand it. So the more you love the scripture, the more we love Jesus Christ, the more we want to understand who he is, the more we want to understand scripture. And Actually, in a very uh, practical analogy of something that I've been doing a lot right now, I've been diving into Ancestry.com ooh. a lot. My grandmother uh, passed away not too long ago, and I realized as my grandparents pass away that heritage, that ancestry that I don't know may be dying with them. And I'm like, ooh, I need to dig up some things. But the, the analogy I'm, I'm trying to make is that I love my, my family. And I want to understand that heritage and that ancestry more. And I want to try to dive into that. Um, And the same thing with our faith. The more we love our faith, the more we open ourselves up to the virtue of faith, the more we're going to desire to understand. They're going to go hand in hand. God's not going to give us one without giving us the desire of the other most of the time um, because he wants us to understand. Because as we're going to see in a little bit, faith also requires us to share it and we have to have a certain understanding of the faith to share it and encourage others to have that faith but i'm jumping a little bit ahead you
1: are that's okay but i mean i I think that and even that word the faith seeks understanding i mean in this life it's not like we're going to hit this point where it's like okay i totally understand the faith now i'm done now i'm going to go do something else right it's it's a continual moving into it more and more. I think the way that the Chronicles of Narnia ends, it talks about going further up and further in. Yeah, I love that part. It's such a great line, and that's the thing. It's like it's not as though you finally like reached the goal and then it's done. It's continually dynamic and finding out more and more and more because you know God is is inexhaustible. And what's what's the line from from uh, Saint Augustine where he's like trying to understand the Trinity and he's walking on the beach and he sees a little guy who like had dug a hole. In the beach, and he kept going over the shell, and he'd fill it up in the ocean, come over and dump in the hole, in, in the hole, fill up from the ocean, dump in the hole. He kept doing this, and Augustine was watching for a while. And I was like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "Well, I'm trying to get the ocean and get it in this hole." And Saint Augustine goes, "You can't do that." And the little boy looked him in the face and said, "I have a better chance of getting the ocean in this hole than you do getting the Trinity in your head." It's like, "Whoa!" I love that line. And it's one of those, you know. But there's the beauty of it. Okay, so you can't totally exhaust who God is. You have to continue to seek understanding great. It's never going to be exhausted. There is more and more to learn and love. And think about this. If it is so awesome with your family, be it ancestry, which is awesome. I love that. Or if it's the family that you love right now, your children, my niece and nephews, you know, just the the family. I want to love and learn more and more about them. But even them, as we heard before, it's like no human being can totally satisfy us. No creature can take care of everything. God can. And he has willed to do it, to continue to lead us into understanding. It's awesome. Fantastic. Good stuff. And then the
0: next paragraph is probably one of my favorite paragraphs of this section. Read the whole thing. Just read the whole thing. I think it's important. Go for it. I'll, I'll do it. You do it. Faith and science. Though faith is above reason, there can never be any real discrepancies between faith and reason. Since the same God who reveals mysteries and infuses faith has bestowed the light of reason on the human mind, God cannot deny himself, nor can truth ever contradict truth. Consequentially, methodical research in all branches of knowledge, provided it is carried out in a truly scientific manner and does not override moral laws, can never conflict with the faith, because the things of the world and the things of faith derive from the same God. The humble and persevering investigator of the secrets of nature is being led, as it were, by the hand of God in spite of himself, for it is God the conserver of all things, who made them what they are. So
1: important. So just remember that. Faith and science do not contradict. I and mean, there's so often it's like people like, oh, well, science has moved beyond that. It's like, Well, you can't prove that. It's like, well, science has proven there's no soul. No, it hasn't. I mean, you move beyond to a philosophical realm. We're talking about something different. And I'll tell you a line that jumps to mind from the great movie Jurassic Park, where Mm -hmm. uh, you know Jeff Goldblum was like, you know, you're so concerned about whether or not you could, never stop to think if you should. I mean, those are it's so good. There's 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 different things here. Like, okay, great, like we figured out cloning, but what does that mean? I'll tell you. And this is kind of an aside, but I promise I'm going to tie it back in. I was blessed. I got to go camping the last two days. The phone was off the whole time. It wouldn't have worked anyway. We were way the heck out there. But you know what? It was so good to not have the phone for a while as wonderful it is and it's nice to have cell phones and all this but we don't always stop and think about the cost of things how much it's completely changed our lives and the way that we think and all this is like what is the cost of mass communication now and mass transportation that you can be anywhere so quickly um it's good and i appreciate some things but we don't get to just walk places now what have we missed out on and just the little bit of you know like the time between where you can stop and reflect and process, we don't get to do that like we used to. Now, what I mean by that is, okay, we continue on like this progress of technology. Well, at what point do we cease being human and just become other cogs in the big mechanical machine? Well, we need to know about that. We need to know, you know, we're we're more than just producers of stuff. You know, that that there is a deeper reality. And so, yes, science is important and Thanks be to God. We have medicine the way that it is. I mean, I'm feeling good and things are great and all that and thank God I've been able to have medicine along the way, but that doesn't prove everything. There's a reason why people are still pretty unhappy out there and I think a big part of it is they're letting go of the faith. Now, we'll stop from that soapbox and hand it back over to Michael. And actually a
0: little bit of a side note as well. I'm curious how quickly the human mind processes the things we pass. Yeah. You know, like we're used to driving at 60 something miles an hour most of the time. I wonder how much our brain processes with the, like, the land around us. It's probably built for more walking speed yeah, I think to process so. our surroundings. Because I will say, I mean, I drive the same route to work every single day. And there are times when I'm driving and I go, hmm, that's new. Yeah. Or maybe it's not new. Maybe I just never noticed in the thousands of times that I have driven this way to work. Um, total sidebar. Yeah. But
1: faith, uh, it, faith and science. They're not contradictory. They go together. They
0: cannot <laughs> contradict. God does not allow it. God cannot contradict himself laws of the world that God created cannot contradict one another. Read that paragraph. It's fantastic. It's a good one. So moving along, right? Then we get into the freedom of faith, which I also like this uh, paragraph as well, that nobody is to be forced to embrace the faith against his will. This is a free act insofar as not even God forces us to have faith. Mm -hmm. If anyone could, and if anyone wanted to, God could but he doesn't out of love for us. He wants us to embrace the faith. He wants
1: he wants to give it to us
0: freely. And no one's being forced to do anything.
1: No, and it's not in this paragraph, but there's a great line from St. Augustine once again, that God created you without you, but he won't save you without you. Like he's not going to force you into heaven, dragging, like, or, you know, dragging to heaven, kicking and screaming. Like You have to give an assent. He's not going to force you to do this. Um, he wants your love. He wants that, you know, the, handing over your intellect and your will, but he's not going to take it from you. We're not robots. He, he gives it on offer. He draws us to himself, but it's not as though we're forced to do it.
0: And then there's a necessity of faith, and they talk about, and the catechism talks about persevering in faith. So necessity of faith, obviously we have to have faith in order to embrace Jesus Christ, embrace God, and to obtain our salvation. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. Jesus was pretty clear, right? If you come to me, you shall have eternal life. If you eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood, that requires faith. Mm-hmm. If Be born again through baptism, that requires faith. All Everything that Jesus was talking about, about getting to heaven, about how we are to be saved, requires us to start with faith in what we are receiving. Because if you go up there and receive the Eucharist without faith of what it is, guess what? That didn't really do a whole lot for you.
1: And not not just that, but it's like you're kind of it's it's sort of offensive. You're just going through the motions, you know. It's like, hey, mom, yeah, whatever, I love you. You know, it's like, do you like? Are you really like putting your heart into Are you trying? You know, and and he wants us to give that assent. It's not just going through the motions. It's striving to grow. Now there are going to be times where our emotions are not totally in it. There's some days where it's like. Oh, my God, you know, where it's not good morning, God, it's good, God, it's morning, and you're tired, and it's tough to keep going. But you know what? We persevere, I mean, it's the next line, but it's just striving to give our all to it, give our assent to it. And say, like, the man who brought his son to Jesus, uh, I forget if it was a healing or an exorcism, but it's like, Lord, if you can help him, please do. He's like, if I can? He's like, you know, do you believe? Like, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I think that's such a good prayer for us. I believe, help my unbelief in those difficult moments where it's like, yeah, this is tough. I believe you, but help my unbelief. Help me to keep going.
0: And that ties really into the perseverance of Absolutely. belief as well. And I really like this line from uh, the first letter to Timothy. This is St. Paul writing to Timothy. Wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. Love that analogy. Yeah have made shipwreck of their faith if you do not hold the course. Sometimes it's holding the course in the winds, and the rain, in the storm, and the hurricanes around you. Yeah. But don't allow your ship to get wrecked. Don't allow your faith to get destroyed. you got to hold that faith and continue to persevere. And the way to do that, as the Catechism says, holding close to the Word of God, holding close to Scripture, holding close to prayer to increase our faith. And if we're able to do that, God will not let us have a shipwreck of our faith. He will keep us going forward and keep us striving towards heaven.
1: Yeah. I'll say, with the, like that final line I get to say to the blessed sacrament before turning around saying, Behold the Lamb of God, it's never let me be parted from you. It's like, Lord, I know. you know This day could be crazy. A million different things could happen. But regardless if they're good or bad or indifferent, never let me be parted from you. And I'd say just, you know, keep asking for that grace. Like, just don't let me lose my faith. Help me to hold on to you forever. Perfect. Okay. Faith, the beginning of eternal life. Yes, it
0: is. So, the Catechism then goes into talking about how faith is almost this small precursor of salvation. Um, And it actually uses a very uh, great analogy of a mirror, right? Um, This is 164. Now, however, we walk by faith, not by sight. We Perceive God as in a mirror, dimly and only in part. Even though enlightened by Him in whom it believes, faith is often lived in darkness and can be put to the test. So the the faith that we have is a precursor to heaven. Right, as we have faith in God, we have faith in who God is. We have faith in His love. We have faith in everything that He get, has given us in the church, in the sacraments. These things are precursors to that divine grace and that beatific vision we will have when we're perfectly united with him in heaven we're getting these little small glimpses and little pieces as if we're looking at him dimly in a mirror but that's still participating in some ways in that eternal salvation that we will obtain someday
1: when we get to heaven we begin to get that foretaste now it's like i mean really in uh c.s lewis's book the great divorce he talks about the facts like you know for those who are on the way to heaven, it's like heaven began all the way back. It's the same thing for those in hell. It's like if you've already separated yourself off from God, and it's like where our Lord talks about, you know, for those who didn't believe, like they have already been condemned. It's like, you know, what is there? If you don't have hope, if you don't have the faith, that's not like some mean judgmental thing to say. It's like, you know, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. It's like without Jesus Christ, without the faith, what else is there? Everything else falls apart. You know, going back to that line before, it's like no creature can ultimately satisfy us. But as we strive, you know, to, to see him face to face, it's like we strive for that. We get little glimpses of it right here and now. We begin to experience heaven. Is it easy? No, it's not. But it's so good. And then it talks
0: about who we can rely on in these times of perseverance and trial. And it goes back to, as we talked about, Abraham and our Blessed Mother, mother, leaning on them, relying on them for their help and their prayers in this perseverance um, of our faith as we run this race. Now, Father, I know you really like the next paragraph, so I'm going to kick it over to you. So, as
1: we move on to Article 2 of this section, the We Believe section. So, you know, I think we went from I Believe is the way that it started with the faith. Now, we move on to We Believe, which is an interesting, uh, you know, kind of shift there, but it is true. I mean, it's like you get the But first person singular, I believe, and then the first person plural. The we, because we're not in this all by ourselves. I'm going to read you all paragraph 166, because it is chock full of wonderful lines. Okay. Faith is a personal act. The free response of the human person to the initiative of God who reveals himself. But, faith is not an isolated act. So, personal, but not isolated. No one can believe alone. Just as no one can live alone. You have not given yourself faith as you have not given yourself life. The believer has received faith from others and should hand it on to others. Our love for Jesus and for our neighbor impels us to speak to others about our faith. Each believer is thus a link in the great chain of believers. I cannot believe without being carried by the faith of others. and my faith, and by my faith, I help support others in the faith. I love that whole paragraph. It's so good because it's, It's true, it's personal, but it's not isolated. You didn't give yourself the faith. I mean, as you know, I talk about the vocation story, it's like I come from a very Catholic family. I'm grateful for that. Uh, My grandparents were super active in their parish, whether it was cleaning the church or just walking over to it. It's like I grew up with it all around. Now, some people I know are converts, come to it later on, come to discover it through like the writings of the saints or the study of church history or somebody that they met at a restaurant. You know, it's like you just never know where this is going to come from. But when you think about it, as we talk about just how great the gift of faith is, we should want to share it. We should want to give this. Now, I will say this, and I tell a lot of my uh, couples this as I uh, prepare them for marriage. It's funny how praying together can be a difficult thing, like because it's an, it's an intimate thing. It's at the, at the heart of who you are. And so to share that, to share that gift, I don't know if we're just like worried about being criticized for it or cynicism that comes, but it's the greatest thing that we have. And so to say, like, you know, I'd like to talk about my faith with you. Like, I love Jesus Christ. And it's funny how sometimes it's easier to say that to a camera and knowing that it's like going mm-hmm. out there than it is to say, go up to some person you're just kind of getting to know, like, oh, so, you know, what's your faith? And can I tell you? Like, I'm Catholic. And I love being Catholic. Frankly, I can't imagine being anything else. Um, That's the kind of comment that I think can kind of make us squirm sometimes, like we're embarrassed to say that, but I don't know. I think that's a trick of the devil to to make us feel that way, because when you think about, you know, what this is all built on, so, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. You think about the history of the incredible saints that have gone before us. Uh, So many, just in this wide diversity of glory, Of living out the glory of God, and that that through that chain of believers, we now get to live in this current epoch, you know, of like providing another link in the chain. And you may be that link for someone else. And just think about the heavenly glory of like looking back, like, oh, here's this great chain through the centuries, and there's a little part that I got to play. And that's so exciting. And to think that you get to do that right now, and don't let the devil trick you out of handing that on and being a part of it. Thanks be to God that the Catholic priest really likes being Catholic. I, I was really concerned about that,
0: Father. Thank you for putting that to rest for <laughs> me. You're welcome. <laughs> the, the Bible story that I love that I think emphasizes this point so well is the, uh, the cripple that was brought before Jesus and they couldn't get to him through the crowd, so they tore apart the roof and lowered him down. The amazing thing, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Well, the cripple didn't actually do anything. He was just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. It was the Faith of those around him, of his friends that saved him. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing to think that your faith could save someone else. And Jesus could say to you in heaven, your faith saved
1: him. Mm-hmm. That's just just gives me chills. But and then and his faith saved them. And, and his, his them. faith saved and them. them. Yeah. And you
0: started that chain reaction down that line. And how beautiful that is. Someday we're going to get to heaven and we're all going to go, wait, you did this to help this that helped me get here. And we're going to be able to, first million years of heaven is going to be us just putting all these pieces of the story together and just every second having our minds blown of how this whole system worked. It's going to be incredible.
1: And I got to tell you too, because I love that, especially uh, St. Mark's account. Mm -hmm. Because it says that four brought him, and there are four vocations in the church. You know, Mm -hmm. married life, priesthood, religious, and the single life. Mm -hmm. It's just all of us have to play our part in bringing a wounded world to Christ. And it's just, yeah, it's awesome that we get to participate in that way.
0: Now, I have not seen Chosen yet. I know. Sorry, Father. I'm supposed to get on it. I do recommend it. don't they portray that story? I feel like I saw one
1: little scene of them portraying that story on a trailer
0: or something. They do. It was was good. good. It was good.
1: So far, the second season is still good. I love the first season. Second season has been good, but it it's not like knocking my socks off the way the first season did. I'm not stopping. I'm going to continue. It's good. I'm still giving thumbs up. But Yeah, the first season, man, I cried through like half of those episodes. They're so good. Watch it. The Chosen. Get the app. I know. I'm still going to do it. You I, do. I, I will. I, I'm not going to criticize you. Just a
0: little. so then me talk about how the I believe. Um, we use in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the Nicene Creed, which I didn't actually know until mm-hmm. I read this. I thought it was both I believe, but now I realize that they're slightly different. It, and they talk about kind of the difference that we use, I believe, um, the faith of the church with personally believing, but we believe, and this is why we also use this one at Mass, that we as a congregation are, are saying we believe together. And then we dive into the faith in the church, which I love. I love how this analogy is talking about how the church, as the bride of Christ, is the one that kind of leads us to that faith. And the analogy that I really like is the the relationship of a mother, a father, and and a child. When a child is born, they have heard the mother's heartbeat. They have been eating what the mother has been eating. They have been able to hear the mother's voice the whole time. They are breastfeeding from the mother. They have this personal connection with the mother. And guess what? The father's kind of over there going, hi. I did some of this too. Remember me? I'm your dad, you know, the guy that you may have heard sometime. So the role of the mother is to, in some ways, introduce the child to the father and say, hey, this is your dad. And this is in some ways what the church is doing is saying we have this faith as a church and we, or the church, the bride of Christ, the mother church is helping us grow in that relationship with the father because we can't necessarily see the Father. We don't have the same relationship on earth in this temporal sense as we do with the church. So the church is trying to introduce us to who the Father is and who we're having faith in.
1: Nice. Cool. Fantastic. That was (laughs) great. I think we ought to just move on through. I mean, only one faith throughout. We have the Apostles' Creed, Mm -hmm. that, that early statement of the faith. Although, the only thing, let's see, due to the point about I don't want to jump too far ahead, but we're kind of like falling behind on time.
0: No, but I think, I think one faith, the only thing that I would emphasize in this section, is that it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, the oneness of that faith. Throughout the whole world. One
1: holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Exactly. Throughout, throughout and it carries
0: out through so many different areas, and that faith is consistent throughout the entire world. And then we get this really great, fairly long quote by St. Irenaeus. One seventy four. Well, 173, really? I think it's 173, yeah, it 174, going, right. 175. It just keeps continuing. Really beautiful. We aren't going to read that whole thing. Yeah, check it
1: out. It's a wonderful part. Go and read it yourself. And then you got the in brief from 176 to 184, just summarizing everything we just said.
0: And then if you remember, page 49, at least in mine, what page number yeah, is Yeah, page it? 49. Oh, fantastic. You've got the creeds right here in your catechism. So if you're trying to remember the creed or you'd like to pray the creed on a more regular basis, grab your catechism. Open it up to page 49, at least in our both of our versions, and it's right here as a good reference, which
1: I thought was fantastic. The one thing though, you know, said about the you know, we believe I know it is funny. The way they have it here is I believe and we believe. But the funny thing is at Mass, we do say I believe, but it's the Nicene Creed. Um, but is it written? I would be I'm curious like, to see no, if I it's like we believe. Because well the difference would be is it, because it says about Credo, so I believe, Apostles' Creed, is the faith of the church professed personally by each believer. Principally during baptism, we believe, niceno Const- constant Constantinopolitan, Constantinopolitan, there we go. Good try, Father. I, is, I couldn't have said it It's the faith of the church confessed by the bishops, assembly, and council, or more generally by the liturgical assembly of believers. I believe is also the church our mother responding to God by faith as she teaches us to say both I believe and we believe. See, the interesting thing is with the new translation that came out in 2011, they changed it back to I believe. I think they did. I think that was a. I remember that was kind of a big deal, and I was really all for the I believe because this is my belief. Mm-hmm. But now, when the catechism kind of explains why we it's it's believe, I, I kind of like it. I do too. But I'll say it's like okay, I'm going to keep doing what we're told to do liturgically. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just that's that's interesting. The I believe we believe, but once again, personal but not isolated. You do have your personal part within the body of Christ. We're all in this together. So I mean. The I and the we do go together in the midst of it. But I guess the beautiful thing about all the saying I, is when you think about it and you look at it, it's a collective, then, we. Um, the we doing it all together. I don't know. I just throw it out there. You got a little too grammatical there for me,
0: Father. But no, no
1: problem. Okay. But yes,
0: it is a good question. And look at how much we can dive into with
1: one change of a word of I and we. And we just talked about it for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's awesome stuff. Okay. Moving on section two, the profession of the Christian faith. Um and I like to say, whoever says I believe says I pledge myself to what we believe. That's really good. And it kind of goes right along with what we were just saying. Communion of faith needs a common language of faith, normative for all and uniting all in the same confession of faith. So you know, we go through and we have these syntheses or professions of faith, um, like the creeds that we say at Mass. And you know, I think sometimes people get kind of like, they feel like, oh, we're all boxed into this. Well, okay, you have this statement of the faith. Like it can lay out for you exactly... Like, these are the things that we believe. And, you know, out of that, though, like, from that is like the great rich treasure of the faith. And as we said before, it's like faith seeking understanding. It's not as though it's like, okay, I memorized the Nicene Creed, I got it all, I'm just done. We continue to grow in that all the time and learn more and more.
0: Yeah, and they're professions of faith. They're not completions. They're saying, I believe in this. But obviously, the whole first part of the catechism is about what that belief is. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of succinct way of proclaiming who we are, right? If somebody said, you know, what is your faith? You could recite the creed and that would more or less summarize what you believe. And it even talks about in apostolic times, having shorter versions of the, of the creed or something professing your faith of what you believe. And it's these symbols of faith. It's this understanding of faith, um, that, it's kind of a a package. It actually has a really interesting little bit about um, the symbols of faith um, in Greek. Symbolon. Symbolon, talking about how, I'm kind of a little nerd in this way, how the coat of arms were the symbolon or the symbols of the person and to identify the person that was writing the letter or sending the heraldry message or was fighting in battle. Sort of like our own coat of
1: arms, by the way. Exactly. Fantastic. (laughs) Look right up there if you're on Facebook or over there. I don't know which way it would be. Yeah, it's that way, I think.
0: Um, And so you, uh, but this symbol is symbolizing what we believe. So it's kind of paralleling this creed with the symbol or symbol on. And it talks about how this uh, profession of faith is broken up. So the first profession of faith that we make is made at our baptism, right? This is when we say or our parents on our behalf in the Catholic Church, say, we believe this, and we are affirming what we believe to teach our children, and we are affirming that our children will hopefully, God willing, come to believe the same things we are setting out to teach them, Um, is the first time we have this faith. And then it breaks down the entire creed into certain parts. So the creed, in one way, is divided into three parts. The first part speaks of the first divine person Uh, and the wonderful work of the creation. The next speaks of the second divine person in the mystery of his redemption of man. And then the final part speaks of the third divine person, the origin and source of our sanctification. These are the three chapters of our baptismal seal. That was more or less all of paragraph 190. (laughs) And, but then you can also break it up and I really like this tradition, the Apostles' Creed of the 12 articles of the creed to attest to 12 is a very important number in the Catholic church that symbolizes the fullness of the apostolic faith by the number of the apostles. And there's a little tradition, which I doubt is true or not, that each apostle wrote one part of it and they mashed them all together. It's just a fun little thing to think. I don't think it's actually true. And I don't think it's
1: actually there in the catechism. But it's still cool to think about. So anytime you think about the 12 apostles, it's just great.
0: And, And that's just an easy way to remember. 12 apostles, 12 points of the
1: Apostles' Creed. By the way, this is kind of a neat little thing. At Mass this past Sunday... Um, although we didn't do it at 4:30, sorry 4:30 folks. You know, we lit the six candles up by the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and then there were the six more down below. It's like, oh, should we take the two off the tabernacle so we just have the six, you know, tongues of fire? But what I said about the two that are near the side of the crucifix, I'm like, well, there's the Blessed Mother and Saint Mary Magdalene, so we put them all right there. It's like the tongues of fire at the twelve. But there's, it's just, it's so good when you have that sort of symbolic language and things that point towards. As we said before, it's like what we're standing on, the links in the chain. From the very beginning, you've got the 12 apostles and then Pentecost and going out to the whole world. and I mean, to spread this great treasure that, you know, the gift of God, the gift of our faith, he who can neither deceive nor be deceived. You know, in a world so full of lies, we have the truth himself. Um, and, to think, and then we have these summary statements that give us so much to explain you know, the deepness and glory of all that we've received. Yeah. And all these summary
0: statements, all these creeds are important. And so the the next couple paragraphs talk about how there's been a lot of creeds throughout time. Um, And none of these creeds from the different stages in the church's life can be considered superseded or irrelevant. They help us today to attain and deepen the faith of all times by means of the different summaries made of it. And now, Right now, we use two, as we've kind of been talking Mm -hmm. about. The Apostles' Creed. A special place in the church's life, the catechism says. Fantastic. The Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. In kind of the practical aspect, we normally say the Apostles' Creed at the beginning of the rosary, and then the Nicene Creed is what we say at Mass. Majority of the time, actually, interesting enough, growing up at our home parish in Apex, North Carolina, St. Mary Magdalene, we would always say the Apostles' Creed in Mass. Hmm. I think we actually had and this could just be a rumor, but I I believe it to be true, I have faith, Um, that the bishop gave us a special dispensation to say the Apostles' Creed at Mass because of how young our parish was. Hmm. So Apex, North Carolina is this huge spot for really young families. And so when the parish was started back when I was, I think, seven, right about my first communion years when that parish was was created. Years a young
1: family, yeah.
0: Yeah, we were a young family. I think Over 50% of our parish was under the age of like 15. Wow. Like that's how many young kids that we had at this this parish. Hmm. And so the priest asked for us to say the Apostles' Creed to try to help the young people of the parish grasp the creed a little bit better. Theologically speaking, was that actually useful or helpful? I don't know. But we have that special dispensation.
1: I probably should have grabbed a missile. I think we have the Because I know that the Apostles' Creed is in the missile. But it's like the Nicene nice has become kind of the standard of mm-hmm. what you say at Mass. So we're gonna keep doing that. Of course. but, but nevertheless, course. but yeah, no, I mean in, in, in baptism it's basically a breakdown of the Apostles' Creed. It's just in the I do format, you know, do you believe in God the Father Almighty? You know and breaking it down that way. But it's uh yeah, it's beautiful.
0: And it's funny. We would say the Nicene Creed, I think, like two or three times a year, like Christmas and Easter, yeah. and everyone would be so lost. Yeah. Like when you get in the habit of doing the Apostles' Creed, then you do the Nicene, or vice versa. Yeah. If you get used to the Nicene at Mass, and then you pick up a rosary, it's not easy to I go know. back and forth. Yeah,
1: sometimes I throw in a few Nicene lines in the Apostles' Creed when leaning the rosary. <laughs> I think we're hey, probably okay. Page uh, 49.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So then we just talk one more time about the importance of the baptism and taking on that creed at our baptism. And then we dive into the first article of the Apostles' Creed, because we are going through the Apostles' Creed here Mm -hmm. in the Catechism. Specifically, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so we're going to spend, I think, almost two months just looking at this one section, be great. If I remember correctly, let's see if we get through 300 before we actually change. I think we do.
1: Regardless, just a, another point to reiterate. You know, I mean, it's it's fun where Michael and I can go through and discuss all of this and kind of like throw out our our points and our, our ideas and our tangents. But I can't recommend enough that you pick up the Catechism and read through these 50 paragraphs each month. Like I said, I mean, it's 30 minutes if you do it in one sitting. I mean, even if you read, what, two paragraphs a day before the next time we do this at the end of June, you'll be set. You'll be on top of it. And it just, it always amazes me how many beautiful things come out each time I approach the catechism again. Like, it's just, it's such a treasure trove, and you just forget it so easily. It's like, ah, I just don't think to read the catechism. I need to read other important stuff, honestly. Just pick up the catechism. It's fantastic.
0: And I have loved every single paragraph we've we've read so far. And so for my RCIA class, I use the catechism a lot in the class, and I focus a lot on the sacraments, and I focus a lot on the uh, morality bit, because it's kind of hard to cover all of it. But the more and more I read this first section, I'm like, you know what, maybe I won't focus on the morality bit, and I'm going to focus on the creed, the I believe part, and then the sacraments but then you're like, but there's some really good stuff
1: in the morality bit that I want to make sure we cover. And, yeah, it's really tough. That's the thing. And, you know, and it goes back to receiving communion. When you say amen, you're saying amen to the whole thing. And that's why okay. You talk about the morality bit or this bit. That I mean, the great thing is we got the whole thing. And we're never going to exhaust it all. And even when we get to the last paragraph of our course and we're all finished, you are like, okay, let's go back and do it again. You know, because it's awesome. And it's the great gift of our faith. Don't let it just sit on the shelf. You know, pick it up give that assent of your of your intellect and your will. Strive to keep growing in your knowledge of this, and this is the beautiful thing. I think the more that we strive to grow with our intellect, the more you're going to give over of your will. You're going to say, you know, behold, the hand may the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. The more you know God, the more you're studying, the more you're learning and, and, and spending time with his revealed word, the more you're going to want to follow him. And frankly, the more we get to glimpse the heavenly realities that are all around us all the time. But if we're spending all of our time watching TV and just the garbage that's out there, and I don't mean to just knock TV. Like we talked about The Chosen before. There's some good stuff out there. But honestly, it's like, look at what you're spending your time on and think, does this fulfill me? Is this helping me to grow in my love of God who can neither deceive nor be deceived? Who ultimately wants me to be saved, fulfilled, happy for all eternity? You know. And then kind of reprioritize. And then invite others to do the same thing. And say like, hey, look, I know it's a big book. The thing about this, at the end you'll be able to say, I read that big book, and I really appreciated it. And now I can say to you, you know what my favorite paragraph is? 166. And I love it, and here's why. And You, know, like, you get to be a link in the chain, too. It's like, we get to be a part of the communion of saints. How awesome is that in our faith that, you know, it's like the empty niches at St. Peter's. It might be you someday. Who knows? So exciting stuff that would be exciting that Isn't would that be cool. exciting and in
0: four years when we read the last paragraph we'll bundle up all these videos sell it and we will pay Ooh, off our
1: debt there you go yeah <laughs> hopefully we don't have any more debt in four years but who knows that would be incredible if we were all done in four years oh man we're, we're gonna have hey, a big party we would be done
0: after four years when we make millions on our videos oh, you never hey know. uh good catholic
1: i know you really <laughs> like him
0: start writing the contract for <laughs> we'll, us that will be great see. yeah
1: i think we're, we're gonna keep trying I have a lot of faith in Michael Becker, but I don't know about that and what he just said. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, I have faith, Father. Huzzah. This All is right. great. Closed down in prayer, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift of your faith, for giving us joy and peace, and to know that you can neither deceive nor be deceived. Continue to reveal yourself to us, drawing us ever more deeply into your love. We thank you for offering us this free choice of you, for showing us your love countless times over the ages and all of the saints and all that you have revealed. We just ask that you continue to help us to trust you more and more, to have more faith, to love you with all of our hearts, and then to share that great gift of our faith with others. We ask this as we pray. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy
0: Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be
1: with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.